Hello, my beautiful friends. You are watching the Take Back Our Tech podcast. I'm your host, Ramiro Romani. Let's use technology that doesn't use us. Welcome back to Take Back Our Tech podcast number two. This is the second episode, and this is going to be a really special episode for those of you who haven't been following. Here on this podcast, we try to take on all forms of technology, learning about all forms of technology, not just digital, but physical, electromagnetic, even spiritual technologies. And today is our first little baby step in that direction. Uh, We're not just going to learn about how these technologies influence our lives and society, but also how we can wield them to help ourselves and to help humanity. And so this is a pretty new project, and I encourage you to follow our podcast and channels, which you could go to rss.com slash podcast slash tbot. That'll be on the video as well. And if you search for tbot, or if you search for Take Back Our Tech on Telegram, we have a channel there and you'll get more regular posts even when I post throughout the day. That's also where our discussion group is. We're also on Float, float float.com, odyssey.com, rumble.com, and Unite Live, which I wanna mention especially because that's a new platform that I've been invited to. And that platform, you're actually gonna be able to subscribe and pay pay monthly to help support the work we do at Take Back Our Tech. So I do want to shout that out because that platform is especially to combat or to uh, create a space where no one will be censored. So that's super exciting. And I'll have an interview with the founder of Unite Live later on. Um, And of course, you can also follow our mailing list at takebackourtech.org to stay on top of the latest articles in education. Okay, so got that housekeeping out of the way. Today, we're going to be talking about a very important issue. So I don't know about you, but I've been constantly bombarded with all these news and events that are really demanding my attention. And they're really bringing on these energies that are are worrisome. You know, Um, people are hinting that we may be on the brink of nuclear war. Uh, There's a dangerous situation going on in Europe where people don't have access to gas to heat their homes all these different issues and it can really get you disconnected with the core of yourself and leave you feeling these lower frequency emotions. And one thing that I've been using to help and uh, help myself and get back in touch with the heart is uh, has been learning about heart math. And it's really been helping me feel centered, calm and relaxed. So we're going to be learning about heart math today. And heart math is a system that helps people tap in to the innate guidance of the heart. And we're going to learn more about what it means to speak from the heart, to follow the heart. So this system is, 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 is taught as a set of techniques that will help you handle the challenging situations that life throws at you. And it's backed by the HeartMath Institute, which we'll learn more about today. But this is a nonprofit organization that releases video programs, uh, eBooks, and um, a lot of their content is free, so I definitely encourage you to check them out. 
So today to help us better understand heart math and the science of the heart, we have Howard Martin, who is the executive vice president of heart math. How are you doing today, Howard? Welcome to the podcast. Romero, I'm doing just fine. Good to be with you. Glad to be with you early in your podcast endeavor. And uh, I want to thank you for having me on and also thank everyone who's listening, wherever you are and whenever you're listening uh, in the world today. And hopefully we'll have a good conversation that will offer some benefit to people during these ultra challenging times we're all living in. Right on. Yeah, exactly. And um, I learned about HeartMath through through a friend. And yeah, as soon as I saw the site, I, I kind of felt like it was the right direction to help me uh, help me mellow out. So Howard, I just want to thank you for the amazing work you've put out with the HeartMath experience and how it allowed me to kind of drop in right away and get into that coherent cool. state. Very cool. Yeah, yep. we've been around a long time. You know, we've been doing this now over 30 years. You're a younger guy and you're coming into uh, knowing about us now. Um, we've been putting the heart mass system, tools, techniques, and technology all underpinned with scientific research out into the world for a really long time now. I think we've done well and we made a difference in the lives of many, many millions of people. And what's really cool about it for me is this far down the road in this, it doesn't feel like it's old. It feels like the adventure is still going on. The adventure is unfolding. You know, the best is yet to come. All those feelings are still there as far as what we do here at HeartMath and as far as my own experience of it and a role in it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like we're really being called in this time with with the surmounting pressure to to use the heart, to use it fully. And I think it gets more stressful when we don't. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just want to start off with like a really general, relatable topic. When people say, you know, speaking, speak from the heart or follow the heart, uh, what phenomena do you think they're referring to or asking people to tap into? And is there any science behind it? Yeah, it's a bunch of both. It's a bunch of science. So let me explain it. You know, to me, we all have this wonderful, beautiful, magnificent intelligence inside of us. It's always been there. It's a... Uh, something that we do uh, tap into from time to time. Uh, we often go to this place inside when we're looking for answers, when we have a lot of challenges and problems and we find something that's a little different than just the logical linear mind intelligence that we use for normal daily living. And what we call that at HeartMath is heart intelligence. We've written books on this stuff, you know, and uh, it's an intelligence that is super high speed. It's definitely intuitive. Uh, it's the type of intelligence that offers that sense of self-security and that guidance that we often need. Um, when people talk about listening to and following their heart, I think they're, they're talking about tapping into a field of information that's beyond just the normal logical uh, intelligence that we have. And it would be called the intuitive field, intuitive information that we have. And they're looking for that sort of sense of purpose and guidance. It's more of a feeling sometimes than it even is thought. It's a sensing of which way to go or what to do or what to say or what not to say. Those kind of, of, of um, impressions and perceptions begin to show up for us, even sometimes long before, as I said, before thought. So another aspect of heart intelligence is, to me, it's like the birthplace of some of the emotional qualities that most of us really do want more of, and that would be more care, more love, more kindness, more compassion, less judgment, less anger, all those things. It would be aspects of heart intelligence, those type of the emotional qualities. So when you put all that together, what we're saying is, is that, you know, there's an internal guidance system that we all have. 
that we can learn to tap into with more consistency. We can learn to develop it. We can learn to expand it. And as we do, we get a lot smarter about playing the game of life. And life can become a, a much more of an adventure rather than a struggle. It can get easier in ways when we're in contact with that part of ourselves. And so all that's what we are referring to when we talk about heart. We also don't see heart as just soft or weak or sentimental or just overtly spiritual or philosophical. We see it as practical. It's something that you just about have to have if you want to make sense out of life. And so it's a practical, high-speed, intuitive intelligence that we can learn to tap into. Now, the science part, we can go as deep as you want. Now, I'll allow you to sort of inject questions again as we go. But uh, I mentioned something a, a few minutes ago when I said that the system of HeartMath was underpinned with scientific research. So going back now, you know, these 30 years, you know, uh, back when we started HeartMath, we wanted to introduce a heart-based system into the world. We recognized that most people sort of acknowledged that they had a heart or acknowledged the concept of heart. But they saw it again as something that was more like philosophical or maybe just spiritual. We need to build that bridge between those understandings and those feelings people have into daily life and take it down to what we call the street. And we chose science to be that bridge because in, in today's world, science carries a lot of weight. Uh, when right. science says something is true, people believe in it more. So we need to create a, a new level of belief and applicability of what we call heart. So we started out with scientific research, understanding the physical heart's role uh, beyond its cardiovascular functioning. Today, we have over 400 peer-reviewed research studies on heart math. There are over 10,000 research uh, sightings of heart math research and other research literature. That research has gone into many different areas. It's gone from just understanding the physical heart into social science research, collective science research, global coherence research, uh, the relationship we have to the Earth's energetic fields, the energetic connectivity that exists between all living systems. Lots of cool stuff has evolved over time from our research. So we're both a humanistic, we take both a humanistic approach to all of this, uh, but we also support that with science. And I think that's part of what has given us a unique position within the transformational movements that have been taking place in the world during all these years. Yeah, wow, that's, um, that's super beautiful. And, and you brought up a few different topics right there, which, which give me pause because I think you're saying that our heart field actually interacts with other people. It can help us be more coherent in groups. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, one of the things we discovered was is that, you know, first of all, we didn't discover this, but the heart is an electrical organ. It produces a lot of bioelectricity, the strongest source by far of bioelectricity in our body. You can think of it this way, Romero, when we go to a doctor and we take our electrocardiogram, listen, I mean, the term itself implies electricity, electrocardiogram. And what they're doing is measuring that electrical signal produced by the beating heart. Well, it turns out that the heart is producing enough electrical energy that it creates a magnetic field that surrounds our bodies in 360 degrees measured with the most conservative equipment you can use to measure magnetic fields. They're called magnetrometers. You can detect this field about three feet, which for people internationally, been about one meter outside the body. So we can see that this field surrounds us in 360 degrees, at least a meter outside the body. 
scientists believe that the field goes much further than that. If they were measuring it with other types of technology, they would be able to see that it's much larger than a one meter field. And then even people that apply quantum physics to this principle believe that that field could be beyond the boundaries of time and space. So a lot of implications there. So we're producing this field. So what? Well, for starters, magnetic fields contain information. Uh, they are imprinted with information. I'll give you an analogy I often use in, when I'm doing you know, public talks and things like that. It's our cell phone. Our cell phones producing a magnetic field, right? You know, right. This. you're a technologist. I'm not. I'm a humanist, but it's producing a magnetic field. We imprint that magnetic field with information. That can be the phone call, the text, the picture, whatever we put in the magnetic field, which is then transmitted through cell towers and is then picked back up through the magnetic field on the other person's device, right? And I know you're trying to protect all this to make sure that it's not being used in the wrong way or being censored. But that's kind of what's happening is you're exchanging information through magnetic fields. The magnetic, so, go, go ahead. If I, if I could, so it's important to be in the presence of other people's fields. You're saying that there is another uh, layer of communication just, you know, on top of verbal. Yeah. The reason for that is that what the, the heart's magnetic field is being imprinted with is our emotional state. Whatever we're really feeling, not just what we're thinking or what our words are saying, but what we're truly feeling is being imprinted in that magnetic field. Uh, we've seen this scientifically. You can do something called spectral analysis, where you're sort of taking a snapshot of the field in a moment in time. You're analyzing what frequencies are in that field, right? So what we've seen is that when people are experiencing, let's say, what we call a strong negative emotion, they're frustrated, mm -hmm. they're angry, they're upset, what we see is a whole lot of frequencies sort of fighting for power. It's called an incoherent spectra. So you got a lot of frequencies and they're like battling it out. You know, it's a very chaotic looking you know, graph when you see it. Conversely, we've seen that when people are experiencing emotional states that would be associated, I think, with heart, like when they're more caring or more appreciative or more loving or more kind, you see a coherent spectra. You see the frequencies are operating in harmony within that field. Well, we're broadcasting that <laughs> out into space, right? So we're literally through the heart's magnetic field, we're broadcasting our emotional state. We pick up on this stuff. We're communicating at unseen levels all the time. And that's just between people. It goes on into how we are interfacing and communicating with nature, with life, with the earth itself. But between people, there's lots of information being exchanged through what's imprinted in the heart's uh, magnetic field. And again, it's detectable. We can see it scientifically. And certainly we've all had experiences, personal experiences where we kind of get that, right? Uh, we we kind of know when somebody is like, you know, in a bad vibe, you know? Right. You know, their, their body language may look okay. And they may be asking them how they're doing. Oh, I'm fine. You know, and yet you pick up something like, no, hell no, you're not fine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's something going wrong energetically here where the words aren't matching what I'm really sensing from you, right? And that's part, partially true because we're picking up that information uh, through the energetic connectivity we all have. Yeah, wow. That's, um, that's, I mean, that's, it's really nice to hear that there is some wisdom that is kind of outside ourselves. We don't really know it's there. And you're saying that not only are we giving off this energy, but there's uh, we can change it. We can transmute this field if we see, you know, if we feel like we're in a constant negative state. 
Exactly right. And that's part of the, what heart math is really about is how do we make the changes? How do we flip the switch? How do we get into more of a coherent state and begin to reduce or eliminate some of these other states that we just don't want that don't serve us well? So the science supports all that. The practicality of it is like making the change, right? Making the changes, in, especially in what we're actually feeling. Not easy in today's world. A lot of ups, a lot of downs. You mentioned earlier, people feel overwhelmed by the information, overwhelmed by the challenges, have a sense of hopelessness and despair about what they see taking place in the world. All that's something that people are challenged with every single day. But within that, there's also more hopeful, open-ended perspectives to be had, right? My feeling about it all is we're still moving in the right direction, that what we're seeing in the world today is part of an evolutionary change that's happening, a dimensional shift in consciousness that's unfolding in the world. And as a result of that, you got chaos. You have an old system, old ways of thinking, old ways of doing, old paradigm of, uh, of how the world works. And yet you've got this new momentum that's interfacing into the world. And when the two collide, boy, you've got some, some chaos, right? But yeah. The momentum is headed in the right direction, even though the world looks like it's blowing up a lot of the time. I'm still very open to the fact that uh, we're evolving very quickly, yeah, more so than we ever have in the history of humankind, and that a new world, a new and better world is emerging in the midst of the chaos and the confusion. Can I ask you a little bit about this? Um, this almost, it's almost like an evolution, a spiritual evolution that a lot of people allude to. And it specifically conflicting with the current world, the current establishment. Do you feel like the current establishment is uh, not coming from a place of heart center? And um, really, what, what do you think is the difference between what we have today and then heart centered leadership? And how do you think organizations can bring in heart centered leadership? And what you know, what does that okay. change? Actually look like? Well, there's a bunch of questions in that question, so let me <laughs> break it down. Uh, first of all. Let's have some compassion for people that we what we call in the old establishment or whatever. I don't want to judge these people. You know, they're coming at life from what they know. They're coming at life from what they believe to be true. It's their perception. It's not just about heart or not heart. It's about ranges of of, uh, of um, vibrational intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. So they're operating and vibrating in a different type of intelligent field. And this now from that vibration. Everything makes sense. It's the way it should be. And so when something new comes in, there's a threat. And that threat causes reaction. And the reaction is often what you see. So it's just a, about different vibrations of intelligence and consciousness that are happening. Not good, not bad, not right, not wrong. Just different is the way I see it. So you've got that and it's happening. And, you know, when you've got something uh, as entrenched as many of the, of the principles about how life is or how it's people think it is that have been around for thousands of years and they're really entrenched and ingrained. And when something threatens that, you can expect that it's going to be hard to let go. So it's a hard to let go kind of thing sometimes. So I've met many leaders of, uh, of in government leaders, corporate leaders, um, that people probably would say that they're, just, that they're not good people because of the way the corporation functions or whatever. I found that not to necessarily be true. I find they're caught in a paradigm. They're caught in a game. It's tough. They can have very open, loving, humanistic type of principles within themselves, but it's hard to operate within the systems, right? You know, it's just difficult for them to, to operate there. And it isn't that they're bad people. They're just in tough systems. And so, right. It's never know, not so black and white. Not that black and white. That's right. 
as far as leadership goes, I mean, my gosh, I mean, I think that first of all, when I talk about business, I have to say that I'm never not a, a believer in the current institutions of business mm -hmm. as they are. Uh, basic core principles of business that we have today that nobody ever challenges just don't make as much sense to me. Uh, in other words, the way business works today is it's, it's a wealth extraction system. It's not necessarily a wealth building system. It looks like it, but the ones that are building wealth are a very, very small percentage of people. Everybody else is being extracted from. So to be successful in business, you have to take more than you give. That's the basic principle. Nobody challenges. If your profits go up, it means you got more money from somebody else than you paid. So you've got that going on as a principle. Other basic principles that people don't think much about are is that growth is only measured in terms of an increase in revenue. You know, your quarterly profits have to be bigger than the last quarterly profits. You have to be making more profit this year than you did last year. And I'm using the term profit intentionally. That means, you know, again, getting more than you put out. Right. So the whole principle of business is taking, you know, within that, there are sure there are businesses that are giving there are businesses that are becoming more social conscious, that they're trying to be more balanced in what they're taking and offering something back. There's nothing wrong with business growth. Here at HeartMath, I'm an executive vice president of a for-profit company, HeartMath Incorporated. You know, uh, it takes a lot of money to run this place. Uh, we have, you know, grown tremendously over these 30 years. So this is not casual. There has to be a, a attention placed upon the revenues. It's part of my job is to participate in that. At the same time, that's not the driving force for me. And it's not the, the only measuring stick of a good company. For me, it's, are we getting better as a company? Are we treating each other better as we go, what we do, as we do what we do? What is the esprit de corps of the culture here at HeartMath? You know, how do we handle challenges? How do we mitigate issues and problems? How do we communicate with one another? And all that's more important to me than the, what I see on the Friday finance meeting, Excel spreadsheet. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real measuring stick. So the, the way I see business is you have to, you have to build it. First of all, on the people, uh, most businesses don't value their people enough. Uh, they really don't. They, they, they see them as cogs in the machine. They see them as something that they use. Uh, you have to appreciate your people. Uh, you have to really put the care into them. And it can't just be words. You can't just stand on a stage at a company meeting and talk about that. You got to demonstrate it. You got to put it into practicality. How does HeartMath demonstrate that with everyone on their team? Oh my gosh. And we really honor each other. It doesn't feel so hierarchical here. If, if there's a sense of hierarchy, it's because it's, it's a respect that, that the people who are in the leadership positions have earned over time, not because they forced it on someone. Uh, very rarely do I ever say, hold on a second. I'm the executive vice president here and this is what you need to do. You know, it's like, yeah. that's, that's something that I say. Right. Uh, so I honor and respect people for what they do. And see that, you know, whatever I'm doing, it's no more important in many ways than what other people are doing. I can, can, can do this interview and be a spokesperson and be out on the front lines and attracting new people to heart math, blah, blah, blah. It's great. Somebody, if, if somebody listening right now decides they want to get something from heart math, somebody has got to ship it to them mm -hmm. and that's got to be done right. And that's got to be, so that, so I don't see myself as more important than the guys working in shipping, right? So things that happen here, for example, in agriculture, uh, we have all our lunches provided on site. 
we have our own kitchen and catering service right here in the heart math corporate headquarters mm-hmm. and it cooks a lunch and the employees can decide that they want to eat that lunch or not eat that lunch you know whatever they want to do it's uh, and it's provided for them at cost we don't make any money on it mm-hmm. and when we have lunch here what happens is, is everybody's kind of eating lunch together not as many people are running off somewhere to grab their lunch and so you'll have a table and you've got people from every strata of the company all sitting around the same table, right? <laughs> Talking about what movie they watched last night or how their daughter's doing or something, you know? And so there's no sense of separation. So we try to dissolve separation. That's one of the ways that we appreciate employees is allowing them to feel honored and to not have a sense of separation within the company. Another rule that I have in my own uh, version of leadership is this. I always want to make sure that I'm putting out more appreciation for what people are doing and doing right than I ever am for having to, uh, to criticize. In other words, if I'm working with someone, whether it's here or internal teams, external teams, when they do something really well, I'm pointing that out a lot. I'm saying, you know, the team that, that I work with, like say in Mexico, that does all my video production, when they nail something, I'm saying, good job, guys. That's really cool. Thanks for like stepping that one up. That's like a graphic yeah. component I would not have thought of, you know. And then I have a meeting later today when the last part of a, of a video we're working on just didn't work for me. And I'm going to tell them that today. I'm going, you know, guys, that didn't work for me. I don't know what you were thinking when you chose that imagery. You know, I don't know what you were thinking when you took that approach to telling the story. But I will be able to say that and they know that I appreciate their work, right? So the criticism or the correctiveness that I need to have in that meeting won't be as abrasive. You know, it won't be abusive. I appreciate when we go down tangents like this when it comes to business, right? A lot I think a lot of people in our space are looking for ways that they can create new creative systems. You know, they don't like the feeling uh, when they go work in typical corporate settings, exactly as you said, it's more than, you know, more, uh, more take than giving. And so this, uh, this paradigm shift that we're talking about sounds so much better. And I, I think that this year, you know, this year and the coming years, we're going to see more people wanting to create heart-based systems for their own businesses. So I yeah, think I think so. I've, had, I've experienced both sides of it, but I don't really work actually, to be honest with you, with businesses much anymore. My role changed over the years but I'm stood in, right in front of the entire board of places like Halliburton, you know, the evil empire of the oil industry, you know, and had these type of conversations with them. I've been in Europe and talked to leaders of banks and all kinds of places that, you know, that people wouldn't think heart would be appropriate. And I learned a lot in those settings and I learned a lot about the people that were working in, in them. And what it did really did help me to do is to see through some of my, uh, subtle, but, but, but real judgments about what I thought these people were and who they were. And so I began to see them do that. I'll tell you a quick story. I remember speaking in Amsterdam one time and it was a, to a group of nothing but high level finance leaders. It was done in, you know, on a snowy afternoon there. And these guys were like, you know, finance people, money people, you know, and, uh, all male just about. And I went into this place. It was a, a church in Amsterdam where they were holding this event. They were all paying like a lot of money to be there. And I went in there and I'd been on out speaking for a number of days in advance of that. And I said I was on a roll, but I was also just tired. And so 
I just ended up not mentioning words at all. I just went right straight to it about heart, about love, about care, about the need for that. I didn't play around. I went right straight to the essence of it. And some of those guys actually started crying. Tears of recognition of what I was saying. So here we have these high level, high powered CEO finance guys and they're just about in tears because they recognize that heart was missing in their life. And when you see yeah. something like that, you realize they're good people with good hearts. It takes away some of the judgment, you know, some of the presets you have about people. We don't need any more of that right now. We've got enough of that going on. What we need is more connection. We need to learn to move past some of our biases. And yeah, I, think I definitely need to hear that right now. And that is a pervasive element in, you know, in our community, even though there are bad things going on, it's, it's the easy uh, the easy route is to other people and put them in these groups that are just like not going to, you know, not going to pay attention to them, not going to communicate with them. That's that's the easy way, actually. It takes more courage to interact with them directly and talk about these important issues and get that heart connection there. Well, so, yeah, that, that's good. You know, one of the things I could call from you early on in our, our first conversation with Romero is this genuineness you have about you. You've got a vulnerability about you, you know, which is a very strong asset. There's no weakness in that. It's like you're open to saying what you need to say. You're open to being what you need to be. And you don't try to hide a lot, right? So that's a that's a trait I think we all need to develop more. You know, to uh, bring the more authentic self to the forefront. Uh, yeah, it's super, it's super important. I think that with everything going on now, you know, I, I feel like when I do heart math every morning, wow, the emotions that come out are just super strong. And it is really discovering like this whole new aspect of who you are. Like, I, I really think that I really think that we've forgotten who we are in some cases. That's what it feels like to me. Just like feeling this whole depth of emotion around my heart really That's right. makes, makes me almost want to cry. So I, I totally empathize with uh, the finance. finance people. <laughs> well, yeah, I know a lot of your listeners are obviously most of your listeners are probably into tech and technology and all that. And I think technology is great. And I'm going to, I would like to say a few things about it. I was thinking sure. about it prior to our, our thing. Okay. So we have all this technology and it's all pretty cool stuff and it's evolving very quickly. And in, in regards to technology, it's just beginning really. I think we're at the, we're at the end of the beginning is where we are in technology right now. And that there's new technology that's going to come. That's going to be amazing. And it's going to help the world in so many different ways. But it's interesting that technology, I don't think is going to be the way that we find our way through the world challenges that, we, that we're up against now. Uh, it won't be just through technology. It's got to be through the changes we make on our inner technology. We actually have a trademark term for that. We call it Intua technology, Intua tech. We got to unfold more of that into a tech within ourselves for the technology to make much difference. Um, another thing about it that I observe is that technology in general is at a ceiling. In other words, a lot of things are being implied, whether it's tech or science, actually the same thing. It's like a lot of being applied, implied about what it is and what isn't, what's coming, what's not, but it's sort of bumping around on a ceiling and it's not breaking through like it could until we start breaking as we start breaking through more, then we'll start drawing in so many of these new innovative ideas, whether it's in science or tech, it's going to be amazing, but we've got to take the next step ourselves. And I have a couple of examples of the ceiling. Uh, I started looking into some new tech, uh, let's say five years ago. And 
I was reading some amazing things about AI, artificial intelligence, and also about uh, self-driving cars. And the predictions all these technologists were making were amazing about what was coming. And I used to start, I was talking about that from the stage because what I was reading seemed surreal. Is that I said to audiences, I said, 10 years from now, I'm not going to be standing here with a PowerPoint projected on a screen. It's going to be something holographic here, developed through AI. And there were billions of dollars, many billions of dollars being thrown into AI technology. And the promise was it was coming soon. It was coming fast. I had meetings with people from that industry that were insiders within that industry that were telling me to get ready to, to queue up that this stuff was getting ready to hit. And it was going to hit fast. It's going to hit this year. All of that didn't happen. Hasn't happened. Uh, the promise of self-driving cars, you know, I was, you know, that was like the, all the cars are going to be self-driven really, really soon. There's taxi cab companies in Palo Alto. They're using self-driving cars. There's a bus line in uh, Helsinki, Finland. That's all self-driving, all this stuff, you know, it's all coming. Guess what? Not a lot of it around, you know? So yeah, all that stuff will come and a lot more that I don't even know about or can't even perceive at this point. But even the technology that we know is right on the edge of breaking through is not breaking through. And so there's this, we're hitting the ceiling of what you talked about, where we need to make the progress for our own inner heart technology before we can take those lessons and apply That's it right. to all this. That's right. AI stuff, we want it to, yeah, actually advance the world. That's right. Because, you know, what happens is technology is born from accessing a field of consciousness. It's accessing information, right? And it comes in, we finally get the ahas and somebody's smart enough to put it all together. And then it goes through the integration process and then the, marketing processes and the integration into society and voila, you have something that's in society that you didn't have before. But often some of the things that people invent and discover are actually discovered by what you would call accident. They're really not accidents, but they appear to be accidents. I have one story I'll share. It's kind of, it's a simple one, but it's a fun one for me. The invention of the microwave. Bet everybody has a microwave in their house now, right? Well, going back, you know, a long, long time ago into the uh, early 1950s, I believe it was, there was a low level research guy working at a company called Rayathon. And back then they had tubes, you know, that went into radios and things that tubes. And he was, he was a tube tester and he had a tube he was testing and he, he got a candy bar and he put it down on the table next to the tube. Then he went to the bathroom when he came back, the candy bar was melted. Now, right in that moment in time, that guy, his, uh, his name was Percy Spencer. He could have just gotten mad about his candy bar being melted, but he stopped for a moment and he wondered why. And he realized that the tube wasn't producing any heat or enough heat to do anything to the candy bar. And there was no heat around the candy bar that could melt it. So he wondered if something that he couldn't see was actually happening. So he went and he got popcorn. <laughs> And he set the popcorn down where the candy bar had been and the popcorn started popping from that. He realized something was being emitted that was creating heat within these, within these foods. It was taken further and explored. And that was how the microwave was invented. The patents were filed on it. It, it was turned into a device. that was huge. It was like six feet long or something. You know? <laughs> and it took, took many years for them to actually get around to doing something with it. 
But the microwave is not something that they were trying to discover. It was something that was discovered by a low-level analyst, you know, low-level research guy testing tubes that discovered that these that there was a microwave radiation that was taking place. Now, what else are we not seeing today that can change the world? We won't see it until we change how we're looking. And that comes from changing our own consciousness, our own inner vibration. And from that, we draw in the new tech, right? Yeah. And I said, like, I can't imagine what the technology is going to be. I can't see it. Uh, that's not really my role and my job in any of this, but I don't see it. I think there's going to be amazing surprises for every one of us as technology unfolds. But again, we're going to keep beating against that ceiling until we start getting it that the key to the new consciousness needed to develop technology comes from learning to develop ourselves and learn to get along better. Right there is a simple statement, but it's true. So let's talk about that more. And um, I know you mentioned this earlier, you want to talk about the inner technology of the heart. So how can people start this journey for themselves? Do you have any, uh, what is that path like? Well, let me say that there's some resources that, that, uh, we have that you can get for free. Uh, and I'm not trying to sell anybody anything right now. I'm just saying there's some cut throughs on this rather than me just talking about it. When somebody leaves the podcast, there's things they can go and get to. You have it right there. That was your introduction, Romero to Heart Map. It's a, what it is, is a course that looks like a movie. It's divided into nine chapters. It's called the Heart Math Experience. I had the honor, pleasure, and adventure of being the lead producer on this. It's a 90 minute, basically cinematic learning journey, and we don't charge people for it. There have been hundreds of thousands of people all over the world that have watched this thing uh, already, and, it, and it's continuing to grow. It's, it, it, it was something that hadn't been done before. It just sort of evolved. It was amazing to be a part of the experience because, yeah, I had a plan, and we had a plan at HeartMath, but we didn't have it all laid out. And what ended up happening was a a magical experience was created that has been turned. It's been featured in film festivals and all kinds of places where you wouldn't suspect it to be because it was designed to be something people learn from, right? Not just be entertained by. So it's an interesting combination of learning and entertainment. And it's called the heart math experience. If you go to heartmath.com and then click on the tab that says learning, you'll see the heart math experience. You click on it. You put your email address in and, you know, whatever, and boom, you unlock it. And we don't charge anyone for it. And it will give you five tools and techniques. It will explain some of the science we've been talking about. There are five techniques that you learn and have an experience of that you can then practice. And that will help people unlock uh, what we call heart. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to say that uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. So if you guys just click on that, it'll take you right to the experience. And this is a program I started to do every day, almost over a month ago. And yeah, it was just first video, like immediate, immediate, you know, immediate feelings, immediate results, immediate, immediate mind shift. So I definitely recommend you guys check it out. It's really easy to get started. That's good. Well, there are other things people can do. I mean, first of all, if people listening right now, if any of you listening right now can just recognize and acknowledge that you have this aspect of yourself that's really, really good. It's the core of your being. It's your true authentic self, and it's called heart. And realize you've got it. No matter what you've done in your life, the ups and downs you've had, any of those things, just recognize that you've got that inside of yourself. Everybody does. That's step one. Secondly, I recommend simple practices, like, for example, 
when you wake up in the morning, rather than worrying or complaining or being that sense of overwhelm that you have, the busyness has already started, slow down just a little bit and just find something in your life to appreciate. Start with a feeling of appreciation. Life can be tough, but there's always things you can appreciate. And start right there with appreciating something. Set the tone for your day rather than just letting the mechanicality of all the old thoughts start your day. Start it off by injecting some appreciation into the process. Second thing I would say is simple stuff too. As you interact with life and other people, try to be a little kinder. You don't have to like hug everybody. You don't have to like agree with everybody, but just be kinder about whatever you're doing. Uh, just be kinder to other people. Uh, there was a, a quote from uh, a guy that I heard one time when he said, everybody you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And that made sense to me. Like no matter who they are, if I'm sitting in an airport or if I'm just in a store or in a restaurant or whatever, and I'm interacting with someone, I don't know what's going on in their life. I may not be condoning their behavior. I may not like the way they look or whatever that is, but I don't know what's going on for them. So rather than judging them, why don't I at least be neutral and recognize every single one of us is faced with challenges. We can call that a battle. And as we're faced with those challenges, then we, you know, we're doing the best we can to deal with them. So have a little more kindness, uh, compassionate latitude for people. If you do those things, if you recognize you've got a good heart for starters, <laughs> if you've put out some appreciation into life, rather than letting life sort of run you through the mechanical uh, complaints and judgments, and then just be kinder to other people, including yourself, that will begin to sort of open the heart a little bit. And as it begins to open, it draws in other experiences, other, other perceptions begin to come to you. And it turns into a sort of a more natural flow that evolves over time. But you have to get started. And those are simple ways just to begin to get the process going. Yeah, I think you uh, you mentioned something there that uh, super important. And I think a lot of people are uh, dealing with, which is this uh, really this self-criticism. You mentioned being kind to yourself. So, um, yeah, I just want to uh, hear what you think, because self-criticism is something I deal with day to day. How do you, uh, what are some good techniques to be kinder to yourself? That's wonderful, Romero. I'm so glad you, you introduced that topic. Uh, when I get to the end of, of the talks that I do out in the world in front of larger audiences, I generally don't plan the ending. And I used to sort of just try to tune into whatever I'm feeling from that audience and, and, and come up with an ending. But one that keeps showing up for me is, is I'll say something like, and if you don't remember anything else I said today, I'd like you to remember to please be more compassionate to yourself. And I'll say what I say to those audiences, to this audience now, even though I can't see this audience, is that you got to recognize that you're a good person doing the best you can in an, a time that is full of challenges. If I was to know you, or know what you did, I bet I would be impressed at what you've already been contributing to others and to the world. And if I take a futuristic approach, I would be able to feel that you're going to make bigger contributions than you've made so far. And so you've got to recognize you've got all that inside you. So there'll be times when we feel down ourselves, me included. I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I'm not getting it. I'm not as 
X, Y, and Z as other people. Uh, all of those things can come up for us and it's self-criticism. And when you find yourself in that moment, you can always focus right here in the area in the center of your chest where your physical heart is, but also your energetic heart. And from that place, just try to feel a sense of, of compassion. Just say, hey, it's okay. You're just having a little tough day or tough moment right now. And re-acknowledge the fact that you are a good person. And you're doing the best you can. And instead of the judgments and piling on about, you know, what you're not, take a look at what you really are. And you can see that you have got a, such a beautiful essence and soul within you. And you've already done so many good things for people. You've already helped. You've already been loved. You've already loved other people. You've done so much. Go back to that rather than focusing in on what you think you're not. And that's one of the most important things any of us can do right now. I will say one more thing about it. It is not self-centered to do that. Society programs us to think, oh, that's self-centered. You can't appreciate yourself. You can't give yourself a pat on the back. That's some ego trip. Not true. You can be genuine about it. It's actually a higher form of service when you do that. Because when you shift your own inner vibrational state through something like self-compassion, it's lifting the vibration for others. So not only is it not self-centered, it's actually good for you. And it's actually a form of service. So don't be afraid to give yourself a pat on the back for who you are, or what you've done. And just don't do it from a place of hubris or better than, but do it from a genuine place of sincerity, uh, acknowledgement, recognizing the, the person that you really are, not the one that you're assuming to be in a given time. Yeah, that's a, that's a really nice message. I, I do think the self-love precludes the deeper love that is required to hold meaningful relationships with other people. It really, you know, how, you know, yeah. for other people to have that full love, you also need to love yourself. And so, that's right. And we're usually the last one we want to give that to. So, you know, uh, we got to learn to shift that a little bit and, and people are, but, but it just needs to be stepped up another level. So we're, uh, we're running out with, we have 15 minutes. I want to let you get to um, the deeper technology of the heart and kind of take take that on. And then I have some questions kind of about the global uh, coherence initiative and some okay, of the cool. history after that. Okay. Very quickly, a little science. Uh, we learned that the physical heart is not just pumping blood, that it's actually an information processing center in the body. It's sending information to the brain and throughout the rest of the, of the body. And that the information being sent by the heart is actually critical information. The body is critically dependent upon signals being sent from the heart, especially back to the brain. Uh, we mapped all that out. It was actually other science that already mapped out some of it, but we mapped the whole thing out, understanding the ways in which all that takes place, the mechanisms in which it occurs, right? But we also learned that you can measure the quality of heart brain body communication. And you do that by looking at changes in our heart rhythms. The medical term for looking at heart rhythms is called heart rate variability analysis, the varying speed in which the heart is beating. We think that the heart beats in steady, a steady rhythm. We go to the doctor, the doctor says, hey, Howard, you got your heart rate of 75 beats a minute. The assumption without even considering is it was beating at 75 beats a minute the whole time. Never true. Your heart is constantly speeding up and slowing down. As my hands move now, as I speak, as I look at the camera, as I look at the lights, all that's causing these tiny fluctuations in how my heart is beating. 
and that creates rhythms. Now, when you look at heart rate variability, you can see that when we are uh, not moving or not talking, but we are experiencing, let's say, a, a down emotion, we're down on ourselves, we're judging ourselves, or we're feeling upset or angry about something. Those rhythms become very jaggedy regular. The heart is speeding up and slowing down in a very chaotic way. And that's sending signals to the brain and the rest of the body that are not our highest best. For example, when we have those rhythms going up into the brain centers, it begins to shut down the higher brain centers. We can't think as clearly. We can't discriminate as in refined ways. We say things we wish we hadn't said, right? When we begin to, to experience more of the emotional qualities, like more of that self-compassion, that care, that appreciation, that love, the heart rhythms change. They become smooth and ordered. They speed up and slow down in a very natural way. Super healthy for the body. It's a high-performance state. It sends signals that cascade up into the higher perceptual centers of the brain that open up those higher centers. Give us more awareness, more width of perception, more intelligence. We see into things in, in much more nuanced ways. And we do that by shifting the heart rhythms. So heart rhythms is a physiological process of how we do it. We shift that by, again, experiencing more positive emotions that are associated with the concept of heart. Now, we learned to measure that in research laboratories and published very important research all the way back in 1994 in the American Journal of Cardiology about all that. Once we understood it, we decided we'd take it into technology that people could have for themselves and use. They could use it to train how their heart rhythms could be shifted and how they could send signals to the brain and the rest of the body that would be beneficial. And we started out with a desktop version of that uh, back in 1999. That evolved into a little handheld device. And then the, the version that's been out for now for, I think we've had it at eight years now, uh, is actually for mobile devices. And it's called the Inner Balance Trainer. Inner Balance Trainer is, is really cool. Uh, it's an app you can download from your, your favorite app store. You purchase a sensor. The sensor attaches to your ear. Uh, and then plugs into your mobile device. We have a Bluetooth version, obviously. You don't have to plug anything in. It's Bluetooth. Works on Android or iOS. What it does is it then begins to allow you to see your heart rhythms, but more importantly, it trains you how to shift them. There's learning and guides within the app. It shows you scores, your coherent score, your points, coherence points you accumulate, all that stuff, right? It's all in the app. And it's a great training tool that has a lot of implications for us emotionally, but also physically. It's been, gosh, I can, millions of people have used it. And so there's so many different applications, it's hard to describe them all, but many people use it for their own personal stress reduction or their own uh, personal spiritual growth. They use it before or in meditation, for example. Uh, it's used by uh, lots of health professionals, especially mental health professionals that use it as part of what they do in treatment protocols. It's used by um, the military. <laughs> it's used by professional athletes. We train professional athletes all the time on coherence, increasing their coherence. It's when we get the heart rhythms going, it, it creates this state called coherence. The higher coherence, the better. And so we're training people to increase their coherence. The inner balance trainer is one of the main tools we use to do that. To check that out on the website, you can put a link in there too if you'd like Romero to point people to Inner Balance Trainer. 
so what we did is we took a, we took a technology, a medical technology that nobody could really afford or could have. And we turned it into something that everybody could have or most everybody can have. And uh, we're coming out with new, new apps in the future. Next year, we got brand new apps coming out. Got a lot of cool technology that's going to be emerging and unfolding from heart math in the future. So I suggest you get on board now and there'll be more to come as we uh, as we unfold the next phase of our work. I just want to clarify one thing with the uh, this inner balance trainer. Now, this is a it's a, it's passive in the sense that it's reading your HRV and, um, you know, the other other metrics and it's just uh, helping you tune yourself. There's not actually any effect coming off the device, right? Am I getting that right? Perfectly right. It didn't do anything to you. It's monitoring what you're doing. So in a sense, it's a form of biofeedback, but it's not brainwave biofeedback. That's a different kind. You look at it this way, it's like heart biofeedback. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's not doing anything to you. It's not zapping you. It's not an external technology that's trying to create a change in you. It's giving you the ability to change yourself and also to monitor and, and see a clear picture of the changes that you're actually making. Can you tell us how the Global Coherence Initiative fits in with these devices and kind of uh, the interaction there? Sure. Um, we began to expand our research a number of years ago, the Institute of HeartMath Institute, which is our nonprofit. And uh, we formed an organization eight or nine years ago. I'm one of the steering committee members called the Global Coherence Initiative. And what we were doing with that is we were saying, okay, a lot of organizations around the world are bringing people together and getting them to use their collective energy to raise the planetary vibration or to focus on certain social causes or ecological causes or many different things. And they're doing it through group interactivity, especially through connecting on the Internet. And so we decided we'd make our own contribution to that. And so we started bringing people together from literally all over the world to use their heart focus and their care and their intention to create a more harmonious existence for people. Now, HeartMath has a scientific underpinning, so we also brought science to the table on that. Here's the scientific angle on it. The Earth itself produces energetic fields. Uh, produces a couple of major ones. One is a geomagnetic field, which most people have heard of. That's what a compass actually measures. The other is called the ionosphere, which is a, another field that operates in consort with the geomagnetic field. It starts just above the atmosphere and goes about 120 miles up into space. These two energetic fields surround the Earth, and they are essential. Think of them as maybe energetic ecology. The fields protect us from incoming uh, space events, solar weather, cosmic rays, cosmic flares, all of that being buffered by these, these uh, energetic fields. If they didn't exist, this would be a rock. There wouldn't be anything associated with life on it if we didn't have those fields. A lot of science has been going on for quite a while now, understanding that the fields do affect us. Changes in, these magnetic, in the geomagnetic field and the ionosphere directly impact human health and behavior. That's well understood and well known now. We figured that if these fields have an impact and an effect on us, then maybe it's a two-way communication. It should be. Logically, it would be. In other words, the fields affect us, but are we affecting the fields? 
So we recognize that we have like close to 8 billion people on the planet. Now everybody's producing the field from the heart. That field is being imprinted with information depending upon the emotional state. And that that's a lot of energy and it could in fact be impacting, impacting something like the ionosphere. So to test that hypothesis, our researchers working with other researchers develop very sensitive technology that can measure subtle changes in the Earth's geomagnetic and ionospheric fields. And we've been placing global coherence monitoring sites around the world. Uh, there's a, I think six or eight of them now, and they're measuring changes in these fields. And they're located in places like South Africa, Lithuania, New Zealand, and California, and Canada, and places like that. And so we're doing some really cool research and we're looking at several things. First of all, we are uh, getting even more information about the effect that these fields are having on us, uh, about the frequencies that are matched between the human heart and brain and the, and the frequencies in the ionosphere, lots of really cool things and monitoring changes that occur when a major planetary event takes place. We're seeing some really amazing things. We're seeing a global synchronization between people, regardless of where they are on the planet, where their own heart rhythms are synchronized to changes occurring in the Earth's fields. And it's happening across the planet simultaneously, which shows that this interconnectivity really exists. We're also testing in the hypothesis that the mass human emotion, whether it be positive or negative, is having a measurable impact on the Earth's fields. We haven't concluded yet that that's true. Uh, it takes a lot of research and a lot of time to map something like that out. We will at some point be publishing our findings on that, but we're not ready to do that yet. But the hypothesis is, is that we are impacting the fields. Our influence on those fields in turn impacts the fields in a way that the fields feed that back to us. So what we're kind of saying is we all live in this, this biometric field that, that we are imprinting and it's reflecting back. We are imprinting, it's reflecting back. And my true belief on this beyond, you know, sort of science at this point would be that uh, we are all interfacing with a field of consciousness that is reflecting back to us, not what we think, but what we truly feel in our hearts and that we are co-creating our own reality through what we are imprinting in the field of consciousness, not just the earth's fields, but this field of consciousness, this vast field of information, infinite information that we are drawing from to create reality. We are imprinting that field and it's reflecting back. And that's how we're playing the game of life. So the global coherence initiative is just a step in that direction. It's taking it now from us and my field and your field, Romero, and the field of people that are listening right now and expanding that into how these fields relate on a much more global level between the earth itself. So it's exciting research. It's a direction our research has gone. Uh, you know, it's the implications are huge. Uh, uh, there's a, a famous author. Some of your listeners may have heard of named Jack Canfield who wrote some amazing, who wrote some of the most best-selling books uh, ever on, you know, he had a, he had a, a series of books called chicken soup for the soul. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. So Jack is like this iconic figure in the transformational movement. And he became a, an advisory board member. And he talked to me one day when we were together and he said, 
He said, this is probably the most exciting research in the history of the world. And I said, Jack, that's a big statement. Why would you say that? He said, because if it proved to be true, it would prove that every thought, every feeling, every affirmation, every intention, every meditation we've ever done, every prayer we've ever done is real. That it has a real impact. And if that would prove to be true, it would be a paradigm shift in how we viewed all of that and how we viewed ourselves and each other. So the implications are big. Uh, it's taking time for it to unfold. If you go to the nonprofit site, the heartmap.org site, click on Global Coherence Initiative, and you will see uh, everything you need to know about it. And it's a cool, really cool stuff. You can see some of the graphs and charts of what we're seeing coming back from the monitoring systems. A lot of really interesting things are there. Yeah, I was, um, I was. Yeah, the far right on your, uh, up on your um, browser. There you go. Global coherence. Click on that. And there's a whole lot of stuff. You know. Yeah, I was looking at the graphs of the uh, different monitoring stations the other day, yeah. which was really cool. There's also another app too that, that you can use with the same sensor. You can. Uh, it's called the Global Coherence Initiative app, uh, and it's it what it's doing. It's not looking at the same things that the research is looking at, but it's, uh, it's allowing people to come together in groups and to like contribute their points towards global coherence and things like that. So there's an app you can get. It's, it's, it doesn't cost you anything. You can use it with or without a sensor. You can actually get your HRV on it by um, placing your finger on the back of your camera. And so it'll pick up HRV from that. Um, and it has a global map, which you're seeing a picture of now, which is showing where people are around the world when they're using it. So when we're having a major event, let's say we're doing a global meditation or something, you might see that many dots on a daily basis. You won't, but when something's happening, you'll see that there's a lot of people using it. It's tracking the collective coherence points of all the people using it at that time, which is amazing technology. And it's giving you a sense of connection. That you're yeah, not my audience would be used to me asking about, the uh, privacy or there, if there's any considerations to people's privacy while they're using something like this. Any, any what privacy? I would uh, yeah. think, no, really. We've got that data protected every way you can possibly protect it. And so I don't think that there's any kind of privacy issue with that, especially on the HRV side. We've had to go through lots of, of data protection just to comply with government stuff, HIPAA and stuff like that, that we've had to, uh, to make sure that that information so is not going in. Be HIPAA protected? Do what? Would the information on this app, app be HIPAA protect, protected? In the, I'm not sure about the global coherence one, uh, but I am sure about the one on about interbalance training. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's a really interesting project. I'm definitely gonna dig into that. Very very cool and. Um, Cool. I mean, I, I just have some uh, questions here, unless there's anything you wanted to bring up, but I think we got a few minutes left to um, just hear about just uh, hear about a few things. And uh, do you do, would you want to tell the story kind of about the uh, foundations of, of HeartMath and maybe how uh, Doc Childre and you uh, co-wrote the um, the book that was it the heart math system heart math solution yeah i could briefly you know how much time it's a long story obviously but Hartman has heart math has a founder his name is doc children doc chose a long time ago not to be a public figure <laughs> he works 
uh, guiding everything, always has. He's the, you know, the, the real guiding force of heart math. Uh, but he doesn't want attention. He doesn't want to be in the public eye. You don't see docking interviews. You don't see docking videos and things like that. But he is the founder of HeartMath. And I've been friends with Doc now for almost 50 years. Amazing. We were going back as very young men uh, interested in you know, personal and spiritual growth. He was always a book or two ahead of me or a lot smarter than me. <laughs> but we've been knowing each other that long. Um, and... When we founded HeartMath, literally, Romero, we started with very little. We didn't have investment capital. We didn't have anything. We didn't even have a real clear plan. We just knew we needed to do it. And we started out small, and we've grown from there. Along the way, Doc was writing all the books, and we were self-publishing. We had our own publishing company. You know, I used to run that little publishing company. And then one, you know, we had a lot of articles that came out in magazines and things about us that was intriguing to people. We attracted attention pretty quickly with this concept. Uh, and then one day, an article came out, not too dissimilar from other articles we'd had, but it, it piqued the interest of the publishing industry. And all of a sudden, I started getting calls from major publishers. Would we do a book? And I'd say to them, we already do books. You know, <laughs> what can you offer me that I don't already do, right? You know, and so it happened pretty quick. And I, I think there was like five major publishers in a week that contacted us. And I was feeling those calls, right? because that was my job. And so I talked to Doc and he said, why don't you check it out? So I went to New York and I started meeting with these publishers and agents and all of that. And they would say, well, we're really interested in doing a book about this whole thing. You know, uh, can we, you know, when can we meet Doc? I said, well, Doc, Doc could be an author, but he's not going to be able to be, he's not going to represent the book not what he does. He doesn't do interviews. He doesn't travel. He doesn't do all that stuff. And they go, well, we got a real problem here. We got to have, we can't have a book. We're going to invest that much in without a visible author, you know? And then a couple of them said to me, why don't you write it? You're pretty smart. You seem to know what you're doing. You know, why don't you write the book? So I came back and I laughingly told doc that and doc says, well, why don't we do this? He said, why don't we write it together? I was blown away. I never really written a book. I've written stuff, but never written a book. And so I ended up signing a big deal with HarperCollins. Got a huge advance and started to write this book. And Doc and I wrote this book together. Uh, and it came out in 1999. Uh, they made it the lead book of the season for one of their imprints, Harper's, uh, HarperCollins San Francisco. They gave it a big push. They did a 19 city book tour. Um, they were hoping it was going to be a bestseller. It didn't turn out to be a bestseller. And they claimed that it was a failure. And they claimed that I would never be able to publish another book in the industry again because they'd invested so much money and that it didn't work and I was done. <laughs> Typical corporate stuff, right? Yeah. That was in 1999 and I, it opened the world up for me. All of a sudden I was, it had success. It wasn't a bestseller, but it sold a lot of books and it was an interesting book. And so now I was interfacing with all the other famous authors and then and that went over into other types of celebrities celebrities, celebrities, movie celebrities, sports celebrities, all kinds of people that now I was in the game with, right? So it changed the game for me. Now, that, the book was published in 1999, and what's now 2022. Guess what? Harper Collins still publishes the book. <laughs> Why? Because it still sells. You don't see books most hardly ever that a publisher comes out with, they continue to print for more than like five years. 
and over twenty. So over twenty, and they're still they're still they're still printing it, still selling it, still publishing that book. They won't even give it back to me. I wanted wanted it back because I wanted to change the cover and stuff, and they went no, sorry, you can't have it. Uh, so failure, not really. It sold. It's God knows how many it's actually sold by now. But it's a marathon, it's, not a race when it comes to books like that. Yeah, so that was a, that was just one story. There've been a lot of things in Heart Math and how it unfolded, but basically it was Doc's vision, Doc's direction, a group of people that were close together that had bonds and friendships that believed in that in that process and vision. We were able to sacrifice whatever we were doing, give that up, commit to going for it, and see what happened. We did. We stayed true to our own hearts, our own intention, our own mission. We stayed on purpose, letting it be about other people, not so much about ourselves. And what can we do to put something into the world that can cross boundaries, borders, educational strata, all that, and help people through challenging times that already existed that we knew were going to get worse. That's what we did. Here we are today, and it ain't over. That's the fun part. There's, there's one more person that I wanted to ask you about. This name came up in our research. And uh, did uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard play a role in HeartMath's foundation? Or I know she promoted math a lot. She did not play a role in anything like starting heart math or any of that. She was a friend. Um, we met her before we actually had heart math. She was a, a friend of heart math and a personal friend of mine. Uh, and we did spend a lot of time together and she came to heart math many times and we were on the same speaker circuits and I've visited her several times at her home and we were just friends. Uh, and she had, a, she was a visionary uh, purpose uh, woman. And she didn't have anything to do with heart math and starting and contributing to it, anything like that. But she, but she was a supporter uh, of what we were doing, a believer in what we were doing. And uh, so there was just a great warm friendship that we had uh, with one another. Yeah, it seems like there's a, there's a lot of beautiful relationships that kind of form through this. And just watching the heart math experience, I do see how close and you know how, how much of mutual respect there is through everyone on the team. So I, I, we feel the we feel the essence of that, and we do appreciate that. So I think we're getting close to the end of our hour here. Uh, Howard, is there anything that you want to shout out? Any new projects that you have in the works? Um, just, and then we do have an announcement after that. But yeah, anything. Well, just you get on, you know, just get in contact. You know, you don't you can buy something or get something for free, or at least get on the mailing list or something. Because the story of Heart Math is going to continue. Uh, I won't say too much about what's coming. Um, it, it wouldn't be appropriate yet, but but in early to mid 2023 there's going to be a lot of new things released here things that we're working on right now i have many projects on the table right now that i'm involved in and uh, there's gonna be some really interesting and cool stuff coming out uh, so get in the game now follow us you know follow us on facebook do all that you know the usual stuff that people do with their if they want to tap into an organization the main thing is just try to hold true to your own core right now the world's going to go up and down. There's going to be some more challenges. We're going to see some, some interesting and challenging situations on the planet, I believe. Don't ever lose your hope about all that. Don't lose your connection to your heart. If you can see it as inconveniences and things that are just there for our growth, that are there for the evolution of the planet, uh, and see it as a process we're going through, that it won't last forever. It's going to get better, and it won't be too far down the road when it does. But in the immediacy of it, we've got some things we got to deal with. And so just try to stay strong. Try not to lose your heart and lose your hope in the middle of all of that. It's all going to be okay before it's all said and done. 
but um, that's the main thing. And that's the great service you can do. Holding that frequency, holding that vibration in the midst of the chaos is what would, what greater contribution could any of us make? Yeah. Powerful words there. And it's helped putting it all into perspective. I know I appreciate it. And it picked up my spirits. I do want to share that if any of you are interested in learning more about HeartMath, of course, we've mentioned several times, go to heartmath.com or heartmath.org. If you want to join the HeartMath experience, which is the nine video course, go to heartmath.com slash experience. And lastly, I do, I am excited to announce that Howard Martin is going to be speaking at the Greater Reset next year, January 18th to 22nd. So we're going to have him uh, online presenting there, and hopefully we'll get to hear about some of the new heart, uh, projects HeartMath has yeah. works. Be right closer to be speaking publicly about them. Yeah, I'll have pictures and videos and all next time. I just wanted this to be a conversation with you and I today, Romero, that maybe others could benefit from. So, um, Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that we, we very much needed to hear that. So, yeah, I want to thank you again for your time. And, yeah, um, yeah have a wonderful rest of your day. Well, thanks for doing the podcast. Stay in touch with me. And for everybody listening right now, you know, please be well. Uh Please take care of yourself and, and take care of each other. And uh, look forward to maybe meeting you in another way down the road somewhere in the future. But until then, you know, please be well. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks, Howard. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us for the Take Back Our Tech podcast, episode two, Technology of the Heart with Howard Martin. Uh, really great conversation. I learned a lot just about the history and about the techniques. And again, I encourage you to check that out. Uh, join me again next week for a, another important episode on the history of privacy technology, such as Tor, and um, some connections that they might have that seem to go against their interests of being a privacy te technology privacy layer. That's going to be episode three of the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for joining me again. Share the podcast with your friends. You can always find it at rss.com slash podcast slash tbot. And uh, also find us on the Odyssey channel. Uh, so search TBOT on Odyssey, on Rumble, or on Float. Uh, definitely follow us there. And of course, we have our new platform, Unite.Live. So if you want to support our work and actually give us some regular, uh, regular income to help us produce this content, because it's not just me working on this. We have illustrators, we have designers, we have re creatives, we have researchers who help us put all of this together. You can help us by joining as a subscriber on unite.live and there'll, there'll be a price there by the time this video is up. So yeah, I want to thank you guys again for the support and your attention. And I hope this was uh, meaningful and beneficial to you in some way. Uh, as always, remember our connection is sacred. <laughs>